Hi, we are Inspired Churches and we are honored for you to tune in. We are a church that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and walking in rhythms of life for the good of the city and for the glory of God. As we walk into a new year, we invite you to be part of the ministry by donating a gift today. Go ahead and visit us at inspirechurches.com. Today we begin a nine-week journey, a nine-week journey, uh, and this nine-week journey is going to be in tandem with home groups, and so what the series that we preach through in the next nine weeks, uh, we're not just going to preach on Sundays while you're sitting in rows, but then during the week we're going to gather in circles and talk. I think, I think a lot of times Sunday morning sermons, even though I hate to say it, we spend so much, so much time trying to build it out. And, you know, I think we just kind of leave and we forget. And so uh, we want the, the word of God to work on us and work in us. And so I really can't wait to launch home groups. Uh, not this week, but next week we'll launch them. And so I pray and I hope that you are um, inspired as you leave here to sign up for a group. If you're feeling distant from the Lord right now, uh, if you came in today and you feel like you're wandering, this also might be a call to you to take that next step and join a group. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to encourage you. So for the next nine weeks, we'll be on a journey. Um, and really, we're diving deeply into nine essential elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, we're calling it essentials. And we're diving into nine essential elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about beautiful elements uh, like grace, men. Yeah. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about reconciliation and adoption. We're going to talk about these beautiful elements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have two goals in mind. So I want to keep these goals ever present as we preach through this series. And the first goal is this. Uh, we want to show you the beauty and glory of God in the gospel. We want to show you, we want to articulate, we want to communicate to you the beauty and wonder and majesty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then number two, we want to remind you, we want to remind you to keep that beauty and keep that glory at the forefront of your mind. You know, a lot of times, if, you're, if, if you feel like your walk with Christ has taken a step back somehow, if you feel like there are some, maybe some sins in your life that you have allowed to take root, there's some disobedience in your life, maybe there's some laziness or maybe there's some complacency, I want to guarantee you it's probably because you've allowed the gospel to kind of take a back seat. And so what we want to do is we not only want to communicate and articulate the beauty and glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we want to encourage you to keep that beauty and that glory in the forefront of your mind. And that if you've forgotten to remind yourself of how worthy Christ is and to allow the beauty of Christ's worthiness to call you back to obedience, to call you back to love, to call you back to fire, to call you back to him. Amen? And so today's essential begins with what I think might be the most important essential of the gospel. And today we're going to talk about grace. 
Now, the classic definition of grace, the classic definition of grace is this, unmerited, unearned, or undeserved favor. Grace is the unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor of God. It's the difference between what is fair and what is favor. I want to say it again. Grace is the difference between what is fair and what is favor. Let, let me try to explain. It's like bringing bad grades home to parents who are hyper-concerned about academics. Okay, we got maybe two people, so I guess. But do you, do you, have you ever lived? Two things. Either you've been a kid or you are a parent, right? But do you know what it's like to bring bad grades home to hyper-concerned parents. And you know punishment is coming. I can recall, sorry, mom and dad, as a young kid, uh, getting, they used to call them cinch notices. I don't know if you know the cinch notices, but essentially saying, hey, it's only two weeks in, your kid's already struggling type of deal, right? I got those regularly. And I remember being so fearful and so nervous. And so I remember going home and I played baseball. And back then we used to have sliding pants. So I put my sliding pants on, I had my underwear on, and I was grabbing a belt, practice hitting myself to see, and I know my mom and dad are going to feel really crazy right now, like, oh, no, no, they didn't hit me, it was just my imagine. <laughs> but, you know, essentially, just, you know the punishment is coming, right? It's just a matter of time. And in fact, it's just like, what kind of punishment is coming? Like, are you going to lose privileges? Right? Are, anybody have the, pe the parents that just lecture you nonstop? Okay, maybe not a lot. We've got a lot of kids that got beat, amen? <laughs> uh, uh, what privilege are you know, they going to take away the car? They're going to ground you. What are they going to do? They're going to take away your favorite game system. I don't know what it is that you like or what it is that draws pain, but they're going to do it. Maybe they're just going to tell you they're really disappointed in you, and that's going to be painful enough. I had some mm -hmm with that, right? Or maybe, again, you're just going to get smacked with whatever their weapon of choice was, right? <laughs> So, you know, maybe it was a chunkla, like a lot of us got, got smacked with a chunkla, but um, maybe it could have been a belt, a wire hanger, a wooden spoon, a branch. Okay. <laughs> so what happens, I want you to know, one day your child's going to be a pastor, so you got to be really careful. There's a lot of illustrations that are coming here. Or may, maybe it's just going to be all of the above. You're going to get the lecture, you're going to get grounded, you're going to get beat. You're, you know what I'm saying? Praise God. What, but listen, whatever it is, all you know is that punishment is coming. Yeah. And here's the key, and you deserve it. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's the key. All you know is punishment is coming and that you have earned it. <laughs> so you pull up to the house and you see your parents waiting for you. But something is off. Something's off. Because as you walk in, they greet you with a warm hug and a smile. They put on your favorite meal. Mm. And they've sat you down. And it's not your birthday, but all of a sudden, your mom and dad are giving you gifts. In fact, they purchased for you and your Swifty friends. <laughs> I practiced that. Is that right? They've purchased tickets for you and your Swifty friends to go and see Taylor. Nah, I get it. And you're thinking to yourself, they must not know. 
But as you sit down to say grace and have a meal, they explain to you, hey, we want you to know that we know about your grades. But we love you. And we've determined to bless you instead of punish you. Are you with me? This is grace. Instead of getting what is fair, you get favor. You see, you've skipped class. <laughs> right? you, you were real lazy about your assignments, right? You, you didn't study throughout the year for your tests, right? You, you didn't take school seriously. Like, you earned the bad grade, right? You, 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 what's right, what's just, and what's fair is that you are disciplined in some way. You've earned it, and yet here your parents are, not only showing you mercy, but showering you with gifts. That is grace. Pastor Paul Tripp says this, there is no one, no matter their success, no matter their failures, no matter how very rich or how tragically poor, there is no one, no matter how great their strength, no matter how profound their weakness, no matter if they will power or no matter if they are lost and forgotten, there is no one, no matter how religious, no matter how profane, no matter if they're comfortable or living with pain, there is no one, no matter if all alone or if loved by many, there is no one, no matter who they are, who isn't in personal, constant, desperate, immediate need for divine grace. No one is exempt. No one is omitted. Everyone is alike. All live the same drama. All have but one hope, grace. He goes on to say, other than God, there is no more important word that the human mind could consider and the human mouth could speak. It is the only thing that has the power to change you and everything about you. There is simply nothing compared to God's grace. If you're going to clap, clap. With that in mind, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I pray that our two goals that we have in mind would be accomplished. I pray that we would be able to articulate, reveal, see the beauty and glory of God and his gospel. And I pray that if we've forgotten, if there's anyone in this room that has forgotten, I pray that you would remind us. And in reminding us, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to live our lives in light of the gospel of grace. Lord, have your way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe a quick little theological lesson. Theology has organized God's grace into two categories. Another way to put it is like this. Throughout redemptive history, God can be observed demonstrating his grace toward his creation in two distinct ways. Right? So theology has categorized grace in two different distinct ways. Throughout redemptive history, we can observe that God demonstrates, he displays, he administrates his grace to his creation in two different ways. And if you're taking notes, it's really simple. Number one, we call it his common grace. And number two, we call it his special grace. This is how theology categorizes the demonstration of God's grace to his creation. There's his common grace 
and they're his special grace. Now, I won't spend much time on God's common grace, but I do want to define it. And so here's the definition of God's common grace. God's common grace is his favor shown to all people indiscriminately. His favor shown to all people indiscriminately. What, what do I mean by that? Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5, 45. Look at the text. This is what it says. God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends what? Rain on the just and the unjust. This is God's common grace. In other words, God's common grace is the blessing of his kindness demonstrated to all people, irregardless of their relationship to him. Are you with me? So the sun shines and the rain falls on the crops of both godly and ungodly farmers. Are you with me? God's common grace refers to his good gifts of life, health, safety, and success that he freely gives to people, whether they're atheists, agnostics, members of other religions, or followers of Jesus. His common grace is common, and he gives it to all. Are you with me? But there is a special grace. There is a special grace that is much greater, much more beautiful, glorious, that is much more breathtaking and astonishing than common grace. There is a unique grace. There is a privileged grace, a specialized grace, an incomparable grace that is reserved only for those who have put their faith in Christ. If that sounds exclusive, you're right. And to the world, this special grace is nonsense. It's even offensive. It's offensive. But to those who have placed their faith in Jesus, this special grace, known as God's saving grace, is one of the most essential elements to the beauty and glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, would you open with me to Ephesians chapter 2? We are going to read verses 1 through 9. And I'll give you a second to get there. We'll have it for you on the screens, but for those who want to follow along, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And if you have eyes to see in the dark, praise God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I didn't mean that. Sorry, but I was just like, oh, I get what you're saying. I promise I wasn't being passive aggressive there, Roger. Love you. <clears throat> um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Again, we're talking, we're going from God's common grace to his special grace. And specifically under his special grace, we're talking about his saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The scripture reads like this. With God's grace in mind, side note, Paul writes, okay, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. With God's grace on his mind, this is what he writes to the church. Verse 1 says this, and you were dead. <laughs> and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. 
in which you once walked. Notice past tense. He's telling the church, you were once dead. This is how you once walked, amen? He says, and you were once dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Uh Uh-oh, that's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse 3, among whom we all once lived, watch, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Come on, verse 4, but God, but God, come on, but God, being rich, What is he rich in? Rich in mercy because of what? The great love which with he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show what the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Paul says, Don't get it twisted. You didn't do this. This is a what? Gift. This is a gift of God. Not as a result of works. So that what? Nobody boasts. So that none of y'all are walking out of here prideful acting like you did this. Nobody. In this section, Paul describes our condition. Amen? In this section, Paul describes our condition before we encountered God's grace, his saving grace, his special grace. Some of you in this room, Paul's describing your current condition, actually. But for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, for those who have put our trust in Jesus, Paul says, this is how you once lived. This is what you used to look like. Paul describes our condition before we encountered God's saving grace. Are you ready? As spiritual zombies. Like in Paul's mind, before God's grace, we were like the original walking dead. Now, I don't have time to unpack this entire section, which even putting that in my notes makes me cringe. Because every time, you know, I I open up the scripture, I just want to stay and just eat it all. But I got to get you out of (laughs) here. I don't have time to unpack it all. But here's what I do want to do. I want to quickly share... Three descriptors, three descriptions of what it looks, what it means to be spiritually dead. Take notes. This is a great time to take notes. Three descriptors of what it means to be spiritually dead, what it means to be a zombie, what it means to be the walking dead. Are you with me? Verse two, and I'm going to go quickly through these. Verse two tells us that we are all Sons, we were once sons of disobedience. So the first word is disobedient. Amen? You guys want to know the truth? You guys want to know the truth? The truth is this. We did not care about living our lives according to the scriptures. 
if you want to know what dead, what a dead man walking looks like in, is somebody who does not care to live their lives according to God's word. So we disregarded it, right? We don't care about it. We disregard it. And here's what we did instead. We did what made us feel good. <laughs> How you doing? We did what made us feel good. We, we determined to make decisions not based on the word, but based off of our passions. Right? That's what Paul says. You lived your life according to your passions, according to the desires of your flesh. That's scripture. Like, this is what the scripture is saying. Like, you know what that means? That means you, you were impulsive. You, 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 didn't, you didn't surrender to the word or to the Holy Spirit, but you surrendered to what you wanted to do. You did what felt good. That's how you decided. That's how you determined. You, you, you made decisions based off of your passions, your impulses, your needs, your wants and desires. Amen? Uh, probably the best way you can characterize it is this. We lived to please ourselves, not God. Number two. Demonic. <laughs> so, you know, that word has gotten thrown around. Yeah. Right? Demonic, devil. Right? Um, and I think that it's been, it, it's hard because in some ways you want to say it's been overused. But in some ways, actually the way the scripture articulates it, it's actually the demonic and the diabolical is actually really prevalent in this world. Wow. Yeah. And I think, so, you know, we go on the YouTube page and we, you know, you know there's so-and-so throwing up a devil sign. They go, you know, you guys have seen all that stuff and we kind of laugh at it or whatever. And I don't want to go down a, you know, conspiracy theory rabbit trail or whatnot. I really don't know, to be honest. But there's just like, even in our music, right, there's just a lot of occult stuff. Now, whether they're really occult people or they're just messing with us because people like to do YouTube things, I don't know. But we just know there's a lot of demonic characterization in music industry, in television. It's everywhere. Right? right? I'm not advocating, okay, you got to live in a bubble now. And you can't go. In, you know, I'm not saying that. But I am saying is we downplay as postmodern Christians. Like we are Christians that can explain everything, right? We downplay spiritual warfare. We downplay the, invisib the invisible. Yeah. Yet Paul says... You were walking according to your impulses and your flesh, according to the course of this world. And he says, and the prince of the power of the air. That's demonic. Yeah. That's Satan. Yeah. So what do I mean? During, during this time of being dead and disobedient, we actually thought we were in control. Can't nobody tell me what to do with my life? But the apostle Paul pulls back the veil. He removes the blinders to reveal that we were under the influence of Satan. What we call freedom was actually slavery to sin. You're in bondage, slavery. That's what Paul's saying. And he's not just saying you were in slavery to selfishness, because you were, because it was all about you. He's not just saying you were enslaved to sin, but he's saying behind selfishness and behind sin is Satan. Right? This is some of you are going to laugh at this. Some of you are like, that's a good illustration. Like a puppet master. <laughs> a few of you are like, ha, ha, ha. Some of you are like, that's good. And I'll tell you why in a minute. We used to do a play called Puppet Master. And so there's a lot of people in here kind of like, huh. Now I want you to see this. Remember, we're describing the spiritually dead. 
right? Remember Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, this is what you used to be. Some of us are like, oh, I don't know. I think I still am. Paul's saying, this is who you once were. This is before you gave your life to Jesus, right? You were disobedient, right? You were, you were under the influence of the devil. And then number three was you were doomed. You were doomed, right? Because Paul doesn't just say you were a, a, a child. He said, no, you were not just sons of disobedience, but you were a child of what? Wrath. What is wrath in scripture? Wrath, it says that there is coming a day. When you will stand before God and you will give an account for your sin and offense against him. And for those who have not put their faith in Jesus, they're going to experience judgment, wrath, hell. Notice the words. I don't know if you saw the words. He, he keeps saying you were walking, right? The word is walking. Did you see that in there? He's walking the course, right? So we walk a course. There's a direction. Even the word trespasses, right? Kat and I talked about this a little bit. And there are, there are three different ways the, the, the scripture will categorize sin. One of them is trespasses. You think about the word trespassing, right? When, you, when you, you're walking on a trail or up a hill or in a place that you're not supposed to be, right? So there's, there's this emphasis on walking, following, trespassing. Are you with me? And so the words uh, walking, trespassing, following, the implication here is that you were on a path toward a destination. You were going somewhere. You with me? Yeah. You were going somewhere. And though you assumed you were living your best life, right, or, or you were just doing me, right, I'm just doing me. Paul says that before God's grace intervened, you were a child of wrath which suggests that you were on a broad path that leads to destruction. It's harsh, it's offensive, but it's true. Before God's special grace, you were sprinting toward hell with blindfolds on. This is what it means to be dead. Uh, can I say something about a, de a dead body is unresponsive, yeah. right? Yeah. A, a dead body, you can't, it, it can't move. It's, it's inanimate. It can't, it can't move. It's unresponsive. It's unmovable. This is what it means to be dead. Now, of course, Paul isn't saying you were literally dead. He was saying you're spiritually dead, mm. right? And, and I'm just kind of painting a picture, even thinking about my own life, right? right? The songs don't move you. The sermons don't convince you. The scripture doesn't convict you. Wow. Wow. you. You can attend church once or a thousand times, but because you're dead, there's no movement, no responsiveness, no, no transformation, no change. You know, parents, do you ever wonder why your child remains so rebellious and so caught up in sin? Uh, maybe you're a friend in this room. Do you ever wonder why your friend that you're encouraging to pursue Jesus remains so far from God despite hearing the truth over and over and over and over again? Do you ever wonder why? And, and you know what? They've seen your example. They've heard the gospel. They've listened to all kinds of sermons. And yet they remain what? Unresponsive and unmoved. And they continue to live in their selfish ways. Why? It's because they are spiritually 
dead. And I think, you know, there's also, my time. Whenever the word is preached, it's like seed. This is what Jesus says, seed being scattered. And you know that there are different things that happen to the seed. Some of it falls on good soil. I want to talk about this one seed because there are people who will continue to come to church, but yet there's no response. It's just, there's no real transformation. There's no real repentance. And so you're here and you actually enjoy it. But as you leave, there's just right back to the world, right back to the influence. You know what happens is Jesus says that as the word is being preached, Satan is in here plucking it, grabbing it, stealing it. It's falling on different soils. Jesus. Jesus. Like, oh, we need to get into the grace. <laughs> can I tell you this? Before you can ascend to the heights of the grace, you have to plunge into the depth. You have to plunge into the depth and darkness of your depravity. You can't appreciate grace until you know just how dark and dead you were. You can't love Jesus and lay your life down until you know where you were, where you've been, what you've done. And yet the love of God, yet Christ died for you, for me. This was me. This was me. Late teens, early 20s. Amen? This was me. Late teens, early 20s. Gone to church a million times. Heard the word a thousand times. This was me. Late teens and early 20s. But God. (laughs) And this was you. But God. Praise God for all the butts in scripture. But God, one day something happened to me. I can't, I could try, but I can't explain it. But God, Paul was right. One day it was as if my spiritual corpse was suddenly resuscitated. And, And the blinders fell off of my eyes. And the plugs that were in my ears fell out. And my heart that was Hard was suddenly softened, and my life of selfishness and sin slowly yet suddenly began to radically transform. To this day, it's hard to describe, but God, I can't explain it. But the songs that didn't move me suddenly made me cry. I'm not saying you have to cry now to be saved, I'm just saying I, I, I was moved. The sermons that never convinced me suddenly began to speak right to me. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Can I say this? <laughs> you ever been, and this happens all the time. You ever been in a place and you feel like, man, I feel like God was preaching right to me. Yeah. That's the Holy Spirit starting to do something. Wow. When you start to feel that, you know that the Spirit is calling. Yeah. You just yield. I surrender. 
I surrender to this. So you probably feel like that right now. But God. The songs that didn't move me, move me. The sermons that didn't convince me, convince me. The scripture that never convicted me, suddenly pierced right through me. And every time I opened up God's word, it was as if the Holy Spirit was speaking directly to me. And I went from being the last to arrive and the first to sneak out of church to go watch the game. <laughs> to the first to arrive and the last one to leave. Be careful. To this day, it's hard to explain what happened. When it exactly happened and how it happened. All I know is, but God. And I wish I had more time to articulate the riches and benefits of God's saving grace. Are you with me? Yeah. Not only was I forgiven, but I was made alive in Christ. Yeah. Not only was I made alive in Christ, but I was raised with him, seated with him in heavenly places. You see, in Christ, I've been adopted into a heavenly family. In Christ, I've been given power over the grave and will live forever. In Christ, I've been given a glorious inheritance with unimaginable riches. In Christ, my body will one day be completely new. Yeah. In Christ, I'll live in a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, no more decay, no more disease. In Christ. I love, I love what theologian Stephen Lawson said. He said this, never did anyone start so low and go so high. Because of grace, you have gone from the grave of sin to the right hand of God. I'm glad there's five of you excited. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And here's the humbling thing and the most astonishing thing. Are you ready? Here's the humbling thing and the most astonishing thing. It had nothing to do with you. <laughs> nothing to do with you. You can't take any credit. You can't boast. You were dead. You know what it means to be dead? Dead. I was dead. I was powerless. And it was only God's love. And it was only God's mercy. And it was only the immeasurable riches of his grace that he could take a liar and a loser and raise him to new life in Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. And here's what's happening. Jesus, he dies. And so when you put your faith, guess what? You die. Mm. Right? What's dying is the old man. Mm. Right? Slowly. The old way, the impulses, the passions. Remember how you used to make decisions? That thing is being crucified with Christ. So Christ died. And so when we put our faith in Christ, we're united with him in his death. Right? But guess what else happened? Christ didn't stay in the grave. Christ rose. And so when we raise up, we're raised to new life. Right now, the Holy Spirit is doing a work in all of you. We're going to preach about in a couple of weeks. Renewal, justification. You're growing in holiness. 
And so not only did you die to your sinful life, but then you were raised to a new life. But that's not, that's not what happened. Y'all, y'all know the story. Jesus, he didn't just stay on earth after his, after his resurrection, but he what? He ascended. And so the scripture says we are not only raised with him, made alive in him, but we are also, we also are raised up just like he was. And not only is Christ ascended, but right now, where is he at? He is seated at the right-hand side of the Father. In Christ, we are not only alive and raised, but we are seated with Christ. And we have an inheritance. And we have a down payment. The Holy Spirit has been given to you right now. And every day you're being made new, renewed. And all that is Christ is yours. Not because you did anything. Not because you're cool. God didn't look down and say, I want, you know, God doesn't choose like teenagers. I'll, I'll take the cool kid. Nah, no, 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 no. I don't know if you saw the church. Not a lot of cool kids in there. Just kidding. That's a joke. God doesn't care. Doesn't care about your swag. That's not why. He, he doesn't pick like we pick. It's his gift. You didn't do anything. There was nothing attractive about you. You ugly. You ugly. I'm ugly. Absolutely. Like, man, this Christianity is really weird. But grace. Grace. All right, I got to stop because I'm going too much. God raised us up. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to finish this series, or this series. I want to finish this sermon on grace by kind of giving you, let's get practical. All right, let's get, let's get practical about this. Like, what, what about this message is going to cause me to walk out of here and, and leave and live my life? Well, here's what I want you to know. There are three ways in which we can live our lives in light of the gospel of grace. Okay? The question is, now that you know what grace is, what are you going to do? There are three things that you can do, three, th- three ways that you can think, and then your thinking will affect your doing, okay? So I just, I'm just going to finish off by giving you these three, amen? And I'm not the most creative titler, okay? So as I give you these titles, I, I, I hope it's clear. <laughs> More clear than creative is kind of my goal. Number one, we just call this no grace. <laughs> what do I mean by that? There are people that are going to walk out of here living as if God's grace doesn't exist. His special grace does not exist. These are no grace people. And can I tell you, before I explain these, I want you to know we all live in these spaces. And so, in fact, find the one that you tend, your idolatry moves you towards. And when it starts happening, remember, say, okay, I got to recalibrate. I got to remember again. Okay? So we all fall here. Even if, I don't, if you're sitting here, I've been a Christian for years. You, you're, you are probably a no grace person already. By the way you said that, you're full of pride. You think that your years in Christianity has earned you God's favor. You don't know what grace is. Because the moment it's earned, it's not graced. Right? So don't think that, oh, man, this is for, if you're thinking this is for all the babies in Christ, or this is for all the sinners, you're saying you're not a sinner, which means you're full of pride, and you think you had something to do with it. You think you had something to do with it. You tend to be the person that gets really angry at the pastor because he doesn't teach enough about moralism. Morals, 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 morals. You're all about following the rules. 
And because you're all about that and because you think that you attract God's favor, you look down on people who don't look like you, talk like you, wear the same clothes you wear. You see what she's wearing? Do you hear what I'm saying? No grace. These people tend to be religious and legalistic. And they tend to think that they have this resume of religion. Look at all the years I've been in church. I fast. I pray. I read my Bible. I go to small groups. <laughs> You're going to do eight weeks? I'm doing nine. Just kidding. <laughs> I serve on teams. Now, notice all of those things are beautiful. In fact, all of those things we encourage you to do because the Holy Spirit uses them. But when you walk into it with pride or you think that doing those things attracts God's favor, you have immediately forgot about grace. And that's why you'll get people in church 20, 30, 40 years, and they'll stand before the Lord that day. And they'll say, I never knew you. Because you thought that you had something to do with it. You know what else people like this? They tend to think God owes them. And we all, can I just say, we all fall here. We all fall in this. They, they tend to, they kind of walk like God owes it. Like, God, if I do this, then God does that. Right? We've all been there. God, if you would just, then I'll just, as if God's like, okay, yeah, I got you. Here, here's what you've missed. God has done it all. Hold on. God has done it all already. Why are you playing a game as if he's a genie in the bottle? You know what that means? You don't want God. You want what he, want, what he can give you. Y'all with me here? And everyone in this room, whether you're a believer or not, we all fall here. Okay, so just memorize it and know when you start thinking that way, oh, I got to remember the gospel of grace. I've forgotten that I'm a sinner. I've forgotten that I'm dirty. And you know what Isaiah the prophet said? He said this, these people honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from them. You know what they tend to be? Performers. We talk about this in Gospel Connects. Pretenders. Actors. All of the external stuff, right? Because they want to they show. They're a show. They're a show. Let's move on. Number two, there's an equal yet opposite error on how we can respond to God's grace. And I call it cheap grace. If number one is the denial of God's grace, this is the abuse of God's grace. This is the abuse of God's grace. If we're not careful, it's easy for us to abuse God's grace. Those who fall into this trap selfishly assume that the death of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness freely given to you gives you a license to live however you want. Does that make sense? Those who think like this think they could say a prayer, Come to church. That's actually legalism as well because you think going to church saves you. But those who think like this think that God is so loving and so inclusive that I can do anything I want. I can live how I want. I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, how I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it with. Because God's grace incredible theologian who was a pastor 
and leader of the Christian church that resisted in Nazi Germany. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote, an incre- he wrote a bunch of great books, the, co- uh, um, the Cost of Discipleship. He said this, and this is where I coined the term. Well, he coined the term, and this is where I got it. He said this, grace was free, but it wasn't cheap. It's free, but don't cheapen it. By living your life any way you want to, as if the death of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ has just given you a license. This is hard stuff. Listen, I want you to know, if you are in Christ, you have been purchased. That's what it means to be redeemed. You know, you redeem people out of slavery. Redemption. If you are in Christ, the blood of Jesus purchased you from the slavery of sin and Satan. You were bought with a price, which means your life is not your own. You know, when people say my body, my choice, no, it's not your body no more. If you have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus, your body belongs to Christ. Your mind belongs to Christ. Your heart belongs to Christ. Your life belongs to Christ. The Apostle Paul said it perfectly. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Finally, there is a third way. There is a third way. There is a beautiful third way. You see, it's neither no grace or cheap grace. Both of those don't honor Christ. Both in different ways deny the beautiful, wonderful, breathtaking, astonishing glory of God in grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, nothing that you did. Everything that you did deserves wrath. Christ died for you. Christ raised for you. But I want to say this. When you understand that you have no power to save yourself, amen? When you understand that you have no power to save yourself, that it wasn't you. When you understand that God's grace was undeserving. When when you become captured by grace. When you become astonished by grace. When you become overwhelmed by grace. Amazing, amazing grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. You know what's really beautiful about that? You know, abusers will make you earn love. 
Manipulators will make you earn love. With Christ, he gave it to you. You don't got to earn it. Work for it. Prove yourself. He has loved you with an everlasting love. When you understand that, when you believe that, when you're humbled by that, I guarantee you, you're not going to deny grace. You're not going to walk around with your nose turned up, acting like you had something to do with it. But I also guarantee you, you're not going to cheapen grace. I guarantee you, you're not going to cheapen grace. So the question becomes, how must we respond if it's not no grace, and if it's not cheap grace, number three, it's only by the enabling grace of Christ. What do I mean by that? This is so critical right here. This right here is going to encourage somebody, okay? If you felt a little beat up today, and you're like, it's supposed to be all grace, but Philip, you found a way. <laughs> this right here. This right here, I hope. <laughs> you see, when you really understand that it's nothing that you've done, when you really get that, here's what the scripture tells us. God's grace, it, it evolves, it changes. It goes from being God's kindness and love demonstrated to you and it goes from his, his disposition toward you and it becomes a power in you. Grace, it goes from God's disposition towards you and it becomes his power in you. It, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. But when you understand grace, grace then becomes an influence in you. The Holy Spirit begins to work in you. The Holy Spirit begins to, it's called enabling grace. It's called empowering grace. What, what do I need to be enabled for? What do I need to be empowered for? It empowers you to begin to live life in obedience to Christ. It's a power. It's a power. It's an influence. It's a force in you. Oh, amazing grace. Grace is not only God's unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor, but God's grace, are you ready, is also a supernatural influence and power that helps you overcome sin, obey the word, endure in times of suffering, empower for service, and help build the church. Let me say that again. God's grace is not only his unmerited favor, but when you understand that grace and you begin to just well up with gratitude for that grace, something happens in you. The Holy Spirit begins to move in you and his grace becomes a power. And what does that power do? Let me say it again. Here's what the power does. The power helps you overcome sin. Obey God's word. Endure in times of suffering. Empower you for service and give you an opportunity to help build the church. Paul said, Paul Tripp said this, there is no one, no matter their success, no matter their failures, no matter how very rich or how tragically poor, 
There is no one, no matter how great their strength, no matter how profound their weakness, no matter if they will power or no matter if they are lost and forgotten, there is no one, no matter how religious, no matter how profane, no matter if they're comfortable or living with pain, there is no one, no matter if all alone or if loved by many, there is no one, no matter who they are, who is in personal, constant, desperate, immediate need for divine grace. No one is exempt. No one is admitted, omitted. Everyone is alike. All live the same drama. All have but one hope, grace. And he goes on to say, other than God, there is no more important word that the human mind could consider and the human mouth could speak. It is the only thing that has the power to change you and everything about you. There simply is nothing comparable to God's grace. Thank you, Jesus. So I think if you're sitting in this room, the only question is, what must I do to be saved? Right? If it's free, and it's a free gift, and Christ has given to me through his life, death, and resurrection, what must I do? Well, the scripture says, repent and believe the gospel. Believe, faith, faith. The, the work of grace, the only work that you have to do is believe. And that's really passive. That's not work. You just, you just have to trust. It's hard to trust though. Right? You, you just have to believe, trust that that story is true. Trust that on the cross, Jesus took the wrath that you deserve. Remember you were walking towards that wrath? On the cross, Jesus took it. Believe that. And not only did that happen, but then Jesus gave to you his perfection, his righteousness. That's hard to believe because when we look at ourselves, we think, man, Phil, I'm still a sinner. I'm still in my flesh. And yet you have to trust and believe that on the cross, he took your punishment and he gave to you his righteousness. And the scripture says, if you would believe, you put your faith, if you would trust that that story is true, you'd be given life, salvation. You'd be raised with him. And that the Holy Spirit would do a work in you. You can't explain it, but God. He'd begin to do a work inside of you. He'd begin to empower you so you can live a life for him. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your amazing grace. Can we just thank him right where you're at? Thank him however you want. If you're loud, you can be loud. If you're quiet, you can be quiet. Just, would you just right where you're at thank him for your grace, for the grace of God? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just right where you're at. Watch what the Holy Spirit brings to mind as you're thanking him. <laughs> Let him speak. What is God's grace telling you? How is God's grace encouraging you? Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would leave this place understanding grace and that our understanding of grace would help us to see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we forget we're going to walk out of here and 20 minutes from now, 30 minutes from now, we are going to forget. But Holy Spirit, remind us of grace. May we live and lead our lives with grace and faith in Christ Jesus. We thank you. 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 Words are not enough. They'll never be enough. So we honor you today. And as we leave this place, may we not leave your presence. May we ever, may be aware of your presence with us until we come back. 
And Father, we just are careful to give you all honor and all glory and all praise. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our prayer and hope is that you would be transformed by God's word and live for him. Before you go, would you consider giving a gift today? By faith, we are walking into the new year and continuing to believe in what God is doing in the city through our missional communities and mercy ministries. Visit us at inspiredchurches.com to give a gift and let's see together the great things God will continue to do in the new year.